So we're on week three. If you've just uh, joined us this morning, we're in the, an inspired series on the Word of God. And we're in week three of our Sunday morning series. Uh, the first two weeks, we looked at uh, what the Bible is, what the Bible is. If you're here this morning, you haven't got one, you see Bibles in the windowsills. If you want to grab it and use it this morning, then, then feel free. You've got time to, plenty of time to do that before we, we get into it. So last, the last two weeks, we've been looking at what the Bible is. Um, and Jeff, first week took us through, it's a place of education where we can learn about God. We can learn about the big story. We can learn about who he is. It talks about equipping, that it equips us for every good work. It equips us for what we need to do as Christians and on our walk of faith. And he also talked about a place of encounter. It's where we find Jesus. We find Jesus in the Bible. There's um, a wonderful pastor and theologian, Tim Keller. Many of you will know um, who he is. Um, as I get my life together. Um, sadly passed away fairly recently. Um, but he has put some works online where he talks about Jesus on every page of the Bible. He's talking about finding Jesus everywhere. Um, he was brilliant. He's really accessible. Called Tim Keller. Uh, if you search that up, Tim Keller, the Bible on every page, you will, you will find um, that work, and I, I think you'll really enjoy that. It's a place of encounter. We find Jesus in the Bible. Uh, and last week, Jeff rather brilliantly took us through Genesis to Revelation, a timeline of the Bible, every single book, where it fits in to the big story. The Bible is one big story. He talked about taking text out of a context. If you take text out of a context, you're left with a con. You're left with something that will lead you down the wrong path. It's important that we know the whole story and how it all fits together. Maybe not every little detail, but how this timeline all fits together. And so this morning, um, week three, Pastor David's going to do week four, and we're going to be looking at why. Why we read the Bible. We've looked at what it is, but why? Why do we read the Bible? And I'm going to be looking at that through Psalm 1 this morning. There'll be notes uh, in your books, uh, probably at the beginning of your notes, uh, the space for notes this week. I won't be covering all of those verses. You can see there's a lot there in detail, but feel free, and I, I really commend you to, to look at those verses, and they will tell you a lot about why we read the Bible. So Psalms uh, begins on page, if you've got one of these pew Bibles, if you've picked one up, it's on page 543. And the book of Psalms is a collection of song lyrics and poems. They were written in response to events in the lives of the authors um, in this timeline that we have before us. And Israel uh, used them as a, as a songbook, as a prayer book. When they returned from exile, these books were collated together and they used them in worship and in study. The book is structured in five parts. If you've ever looked through the whole of Psalms, it comes in five parts and they reflect the five books of the Torah to help us remind or help Jews remind that those five books. Now Psalm 1 emphasizes meditation on the law of the Lord. We would look at the law of the Lord as the whole Bible. They would have talked about the Torah. We talk about the Bible in its entirety. And it talks about meditating it. On it. And it puts it at the beginning of Psalms. I don't think it's an accident that it's there. What it's saying is meditate on this. Think about these books. Ponder on this because it is good for you. It's not Psalm 1 by accident. And the book of Psalms operates on two levels. There's some individual responses here. People crying out to God in desperation. Some of them crying out to God in joy. But it also details the, the trials, the tribulations, the journeys of the whole Israelite Nation, And so it tells us very much and is worth, worth studying. So Psalm 1 then, let's read this uh, together. 
I'm going to start with the first word and then, and then talk about something else. So Psalm 1, blessed is the one. So what is blessed? We hear this word a lot. Sometimes it's taken out of context. It's used in bad language sometimes. But blessed, what, what does blessed mean? It could simply mean happy, but it's deeper than that. It means to experience the favor of God, to have the favor of God on you, to be, to be contented, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied by the things that God gives you, by the, the prospering of God. So blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take. Nope, I've got that wrong. Walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wind will not stand in the, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So I don't know if you're aware of our PCC logo. Does anyone want to call out what it might be? Do they know what it is? A tree. It's a tree. We're just going to show a picture of this. This is our logo. You can see in the bottom corner there of the slide. That is our logo, Plymouth Christian Center. And it is a tree planted by a stream of water, a direct reflection of Psalm 1. So important, we believe, this psalm to be. The word of God being this very stream and us feeding on it. There's much theme or many themes uh, from someone that appear throughout the Bible. When it talks about trees, it talks about streams of living water, rivers of living water. There are many uh, recurrences of this throughout the Bible. It talks about trees being fed by rivers. It talks of rivers giving life to all that lives in it or near it or puts roots down near it. It talks about fruit, the productivity of this, the evidence of the Holy Spirit. We see this all throughout the Bible. I'm just going to in, um, read some other passages to you that talk about this. And in, in Genesis, at the, the start of our story, in, if, again, if you've got this Bible, it's chapter 2, uh, Genesis 2, 8 to 14. It's on page 4. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. And in Ezekiel, if I can find it, how's my Bible knowledge? Can I see it? There it is. Okay, so in Ezekiel... It says this, this is um, as the angel, as, as Israelite is being, Israel is being restored. In Ezekiel 47, uh, this is page 881, if, you got, if, you, if you're wanting to follow it. It says, he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. And then in Revelation, we're at the end of our story. 
We're at the end of the Bible. It says this about Eden being restored. Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now this imagery... And reference to the, to the life-giving streams or rivers of water and the trees growing by them was not lost on the Israelites. In their time in the wilderness, in their time in their early days, they would have been used to finding water. Water was the source of all life. Without water, where they lived, you didn't live. You just couldn't manage it. Water was everything. Being near to water meant everything. They lived in the desert. Their climate was dry. Water was everything. So this psalm talks to us about life-giving water. Well, what is that life-giving water? This psalm is talking about the word of God as life-giving water. If you plant near the streams of water, if you plant yourself in this book, in the word of God, you will flourish. You will be blessed. This is what this psalm is saying. But it clearly talks about two different positions. It's quite clear that the psalm kind of talks about two different positions, two different directions. It talks about the wicked and the unblessed. And it talks of the blessed. It says, you'll be blessed if you do this. You will not be blessed if you do this. So let's, let's take a look at that. You know, as I was reading this, I had a strange thought. Hamlet came to me. I'm, I'm not a great Shakespearean fan. I'm really not. But Hamlet came to me. Yeah, to be or not to be. That is the question, that famous soliloquy. To be or not to be. Well, Hamlet here was talking about to live or not to live. He was working out whether it was better that he lived or better that he died. And this is what this whole talk was about. Is it better that I follow life or should I go after death? This is what this psalm is talking about. It's talking about life and death. It is that important. Blessed or not blessed? That is the question. To read or not to read? There are two clear paths in this psalm. Someone tells us there is much life to be had from meditating on God's word. It also shows us two clear positions, or there is some room between them, which we'll come on to in a moment. But these two positions, main positions, are planted versus blown in the wind. They are rooted and hydrated versus loose and dry. If we look at this, this image of a, of a tree split right down the middle, we've got a tree that is clearly planted by streams of living water, and it is flourishing, and there is much life. The other tree is dark. It is hard. It is dry. It is, the wind will blow the leaves off that tree. This is the stark contrast that this song is throwing up. Much life or dryness and death. Wickedness versus righteousness. So let's look at this, this first path, the first thing that we, we see. First, the wicked. They shun the word and they mock God. This is what we read, that they don't want anything to do with the word and they mock God. And I want us to look at the steady progression that we see here in these, in these lines. So this, this next slide says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now there's a steady progression in the language here. We've got who does not walk in step with the wicked. They're, they're moving, they're walking along, they're walking in step with the wicked. They're kind of moving with the people that are wicked. But the next line says they stand in the way that sinners take, they're kind of taking up a position 
They've been walking that long that they've kind of, this is where they are now. They find themselves standing in the way that sinners take. And the next line says that they sit in the company of mockers. Well, if you sit down, you're going to be there for a while. You've got no intention of going else for a while. You're sitting down. You've sat down this morning. Hopefully, you've got no intention of leaving. You sit down because you're going to stay. And so this is a steady progression that we're talking about. So it's not, it's not just suddenly you're good and one day you're bad. It warns about a steady progression of wickedness if we don't do or if we don't adhere to the ways of God. It says you won't be blessed in that way, but we'll come on to what happens if you are. Proverbs 1.22 says, How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will you follow what you think is right? How long will you do what you think is best? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? How long will you remain ignorant of the word of God? How long will you not get into it? How long will you not use this book as it's meant to be so that you don't fall away? And yet, Psalm 19 Verse 7 says, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. We can ignore God's word at our peril, and we can go our own way, but it doesn't end well. Or we can use the word of God to make us simple people wise, to get God's thoughts, God's mind, God's instructions into our heart. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Now, that doesn't mean you can't mock God. You can mock God if you choose to. I don't recommend it. But you can mock God if you choose to. But what it's saying, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. There's a clear path here. Go your own way or go God's way. And the Bible shows us God's way. It's a clear way, a good way of staying in step with God and not in step with the wicked. It talks of people that have no worship in their hearts. Their heart is not inclined towards God. In fact, it's inclined the other way. They don't want to know anything to do with God, certainly not his word. But what does the word say about these people? It says that they are like chaff. That's a strange word, chaff. But it comes from the harvest time. And uh, in the times of the Israelites, there are many different steps to gathering the harvest by hand and bringing it in. And I won't, I won't go through all of that today for the sake of time. But it gets to a point where it comes to winnowing when you're left with the ears of corn and the, the chaff, the loose things that hold uh, the corn and hold the cereal. And what they did is they threw, throw it up into the air. In those times, it was known that there would be an afternoon breeze would come through uh, the valley or come through the town where they were in. And so they, in the threshing floor, they would throw up um, all this gathered in straw, all the ears of corn would go up, and the chaff, which is really light and dry and, and, and brittle, would just blow away. The wind would carry it away, and the seed would just fall at the winnower's feet. And God says that people that don't abide by his word, that don't love his word, don't use his word for instruction, will could end up, well, look at this a minute, could end up. If you are wicked, if you follow in the ways of the wicked rather than my ways, you are like chaff. You'll just be tossed away by the wind. And what is useful, what is good, remains at the feet of the winnower. It goes on to say, the wind that the chaff blows away. As I was looking at this, it reminded me of Matthew 7 and the foolish builders. When it talks about the wise man that builds his house on a rock and the foolish man that builds his house on the sand. When the storms of life come, 
The house gets blown away. That's on the sand. It's a bit like the chaff. That which doesn't rely on the word of God. A life that doesn't stand on the foundation of the word of God is easily troubled and easily blown when the storms of life come. Yet the one who builds his house on a rock, the one who chooses to stand on the word of God and get his comfort from the word of God, meditate on it day and night, stands firm in the troubles and storms of life. But we're talking here about those that don't. And therefore... The wicked will not stand in judgment. On that judgment day, when God comes to judge us all, they will not stand. They'll have nothing to stand on. It says, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There is a clear divide here. Those that are righteous, those that love the word of God and do what it says in their love of God. Not for the sake of rules, but because they love God. But that's not to say there's not some middle ground here. I don't for one moment want to say to you, if you don't read the Bible, you're going to hell. It doesn't work like that. We're talking about flourishing here. We're talking about being blessed. Many of us can be saved and are saved. And we love God. And we worship God. And we sing songs to God. And we come to church every week. And we listen to the word. And we listen to to Jeff and David and myself and others serve up a meal. A word of God. And we feed on that word of God. That's why we look at it again traditionally in community groups. So that we don't lose what we've eaten. We don't forget what we've eaten. But we serve up this meal. And some of us try and make that meal last all week until we get fed again. But there's more than that. There's so much more than that. When we're saved, we talk about salvation. We are saved. That this act of justification where we move from a place of sinfulness... And through God's grace and mercy, we move to a place of righteousness. In that one moment, by believing in Jesus and saying that we will follow him as Lord, inviting him into our lives, we might say. But there's more. There's more. There's sanctification. There's becoming more like God. There's this pruning cycle where where God prunes the bits off us that are no good. The bits that we grow that are a bit gnarly and, and don't look so great. He prunes those off to allow more fruit to grow. There's so much more. And what this psalm is saying is that comes from planting yourself in the word of God. You will yield fruit in season and your leaf will not wither. There is so much more if we get into the word of God. So who are this second group then that that Jesus is talking about, that the psalmist is talking about when he talks about the word of God? We've talked about the sinners. This is what happens to the sinners. This is what happens to them. They're blown like chaff. They won't stand in the judgment. It will not end well. But he talks about this second group that will be blessed if. They'll be blessed if their delight is in the law of the Lord. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. I want to encourage you to try it. You might think, how do I delight in the law of the Lord? How do I really get excited, enjoy the word of God? This book that sometimes the words I can't pronounce, sometimes things I can't remember, sometimes I think, why on earth did that happen? How could that happen? I want to say to you, give it a try. I want to encourage you to give it a try, to endeavor to read it, to not give up. We've got um, one of our fellowship, Jim, uh, is in hospital at the moment. And, um, and we realized while he was in there, he caught COVID. And he was put in a room and he wouldn't get to see anyone. And we, we thought, he's, he's just not going to have contact with anybody. So we went and got Jim a, a cheap mobile phone. And we delivered it up to our David, delivered it up to the, the hospital. And I wrote some instructions for Jim because Jim had never owned a mobile phone. As hard as it is to believe, I actually envy Jim. I really do. But he's never owned a mobile phone. He said, poor, I've never felt the need for it. I just don't see the point. I've got a home phone. That's it. I don't want it. I don't need it. And then he had to spend five days in isolation. 
So we gave him this mobile phone and Tim gave it a try. He had to give it a try. He had no choice but to give it a try. And he's at the point now where he answers it. He can make a phone call. And he's actually in contact with the world when people can't go and visit him. So the results for him are fantastic. Now, can he send a text? Not yet. But he can make calls because he's given it a try. He's persevered. And I want to encourage you to do that with the Bible. If you find it hard, it's to persevere. Because there is much joy. There is much delight in this book. There is so much goodness in this book. And it will bring you, just like Jim, can I speak to the outside world? This book, as we'll come on to, will speak to you. God will speak to you through this book. So whose delight is in the law of the Lord? And who meditates on his law day and night? It sounds funny, that meditate. You know, we have this, if I said meditate to you, I think half of you would probably start thinking, mm. it's someone that, that meditates, that empties their mind. It's kind of similar. We're, we're emptying our mind of, of the day-to-day stuff. We're emptying our mind of the things that bother us, and we're meditating, focusing on the word of God. So instead of emptying our minds, we fill it with the word of God. Meditate on his law day and night. Now that talks about regularity and consistency. It doesn't mean you do nothing else but read the Bible. There are some people that do that. The scholars, they love it, and they give us much information and much joy in what they can tell us from what they dig out of the Bible. But here it's talking about regular and consistent reading of the Bible. So keep doing it. God challenged me on this recently. I, I have my morning devotions, and, and I've got a commentary in my Bible, and, and, I, and I read it every morning. But when I came to read this psalm, I prepared this sermon, it, God really challenged me. He spoke to me through the word of God and said, I know you do it in the morning, but what about the night? Now, I'm not saying that's for you, but in that moment, he said, but what about the night? You've always got time before you go to bed to watch something or to read something. How about you meditate on it day and night? Mm. But he's right. <laughs> and so that's what I'm going to have to start doing. But morning might not be good for you. Night might not be good for you. But whatever you do, do it. Read it. Whenever you find the time, be regular and be consistent. Keep doing it. Why? Because you will be like a tree planted by streams of water. It will be life-giving to you. The more time you spend in this book, the more you read it, it will give you life. I, you're going to be bored if you hear me saying this, but the Bible is for our transformation, not for our information. It's no good being able to recite the Bible from beginning to end if it doesn't change your life. But it won't change your life if you don't read it. I've said this before as well, but God, one time I read a book by a guy called Scott McKnight who talked about how he'd suddenly developed this vigor, this, this desperate hunger to read the word of God. And I prayed to God, please give me that same hunger. I want to really get into your word and I want to know it and I want to relish in it. I want to love it. And God said to me, Paul, you've got to pick it up. It's kind of funny, but it's not. Pick it up. If you want God to speak to you, pick it up. And the more you read it, I promise you, you will want to read it more and more. So what else does it do for us? It helps us to, to yield our fruit in season. Evidence of the Holy Spirit. Again, we, we ask God through his Holy Spirit, Lord, grow more fruit in me, more spirit, more spirit. And God does. He gives us more spirit, but the spirit partners with the word, and the word partners with the spirit. The spirit opens our eyes to the Bible, and the Bible shows us the ways of God. There's no, they're not separate. They're together. They work together. We yield our fruit in season when we read more of this book. It helps us to prune what we don't want in our lives. It shows things that we don't want, and it shows us the things that we ought to do. Its leaf does not wither. That 
tree that I showed you, that tree split down the middle that was dry and was full of life. We talk about the storms of life, but also there's that, that arid, hot sun. You know, think of Death Valley where nothing grows because the sun is so hot. Here it says, bearing in mind, the Israelites were in a hot desert in the wilderness. It's written, their leaf does not wither. When you're living and breathing the word of God, it says, when the trials of life come, you won't be tossed away. You won't be washed away. And you won't wither. You won't crumble when the tough times come. Whatever they do prospers, the psalm says. Whatever they do prospers. God's plan for you will unfold. You will prosper when you live your life according to the word of God. When you love the word of God, when it is in you, and you, as it is breathed out by God, and you breathe it in, your life will prosper. There are too many to go into, but there's so many Christian businesses that say that they don't know why. At times, against all the odds, they do not know why they prospered, but they believe it's because they love God. And they implement the statutes, the laws, the decrees of God in their daily life and in their business. God says, whatever you do prospers if you love and live your life according to this book. Again, we're not talking about just merely salvation here. The Bible, most of us, we get saved and then we start to really understand the Bible. It's life-giving. It's prosperity-producing. It's everlasting living. The effects of this word of God are meditating on the law of the night, the, the scriptures. The effect that they have on the believer is, is remarkable. There are many people here you could speak to that would say the Bible has changed their life. A few weeks back, we watched, Jeff showed a video of a prisoner that, that gave his life to God, but it was, it was the Bible. It was reading the Bible consistently that changed his life. And he, he talked about reading the word of God, and he could almost hear the chains that he was in coming off him because the word of God frees us it's not just information it's transformation King David in the Old Testament when advising his son and heir Solomon David was on his deathbed this is what he said to him when you think of you think of David's life you think you know you, we imagine King David and you think about him being killing bears and killing lions and and killing Goliath and, and mighty battles, David and his mighty men, David and his hundreds of concubines and his different wives, what would he have said to his son that would have made him successful? What advice would he have given his son? You know, go and kill loads of Philistines. Go and marry loads of women. Go and have loads of sons to make sure that your family line is secure. But he didn't. He said this. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. So be strong. Act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. David had much success in all his life, but he knew it was down to obeying God and what he said. And that was the advice that he gave his son. God echoes this. In Jeremiah, this is going to sound very familiar after what we've just read. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 8, says this. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends it out its roots by the stream. 
It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Just to remind us what we are looking at this morning, that's why we read the Bible. Why we read the Bible. It's so that we will flourish. It's so that we will flourish. God said, blessed will be the person who reads my word. We don't read it so we know it, but knowing it blesses us. God wants to bless us, and he blesses us through his word. I um, occasionally do some, well, I call it work. He lets me come along. Um, a friend of mine is a forester and involved lots of trees. Oh, I love wood. It's really weird, but I just love wood. I love the smell of it, the touch of it, working with it. I'm not really good at it. I just love it. But he lets me come along, and he puts up with me. And one day, we were delivering wood, uh, logs of wood to, to someone. And as we were tossing the, the wood out of the trailer, he picked one up, and he said, oh, there's an alder. I think with my Danner accent, I think I'm saying it right. An alder, an alder tree. I said, what's an alder tree? He said, oh, do you not know what that is? I said, no. He said, it's a tree that grows up next to water. It lives near water. Especially, and he says it goes red. I don't know if you can see this. I don't know if you can pick it up on the image, but quite often, the wood will go white. This goes red, and it's very hard. And John said, well, I've given his name now, but he said to me, he said, this tree grows up beautiful. They grow up straight. They grow up strong. They grow up true. And older trees are known for it because they live next to water. So this is fantastic. So he gave me this piece of, of alder, and this was several months ago now, probably. I never realized that this would come into this sermon. But what's special about an older tree? Well, this, this tree in nature, it is a swamp dweller. It's a water lover. The wood of this tough tree doesn't rot when it gets waterlogged. Instead, it gets stronger and harder. This is an alder tree growing next to a stream of water. Where other trees get ruined when they get waterlogged, if there's too much water, they will die. An alder tree, the more water it gets, the stronger it gets, the better it gets. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be an alder tree next to streams of living water. The stream of living water he's talking about is the Bible. He wants us to root ourselves, plant ourselves in the Bible so that we will grow stronger, that we will grow harder, that we will flourish, and that we will yield our fruit in season. I challenge you today to be an alder tree, to plant your roots in the streams of living water that come out of the word of God. There are other psalms that equally are equally vocal on the word of God, and why? We should read it. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing for the soul. You know, if you've read the Bible and you find it depressing sometimes, try reading different parts first. I, I would say it's not all equal. Start with reading about Jesus. This book is about Jesus. Start reading about Jesus. And you'll fall in love with Jesus as you fall in love with the Word. It is refreshing for the soul. If you're feeling down, get the Bible out. If you're feeling a bit low, get the Bible out. It happened to me this week. We're, we're having a, a kitchen fitted um, that should have taken two weeks. I think we're into three months. And it's, it's been getting me down. I get it. It's a first world problem. Turn on the news and you get a reality check. I, I totally understand that. But, it, but at home, it's become a bill for me. And God reminded me, <laughs> Psalm 1, as I'm doing this. Remember Scripture. Bring Scripture to mind. And I started to 
think of the memory verses that I could remember and started to speak some of them. And I started to lift. Now, I'm not saying the kitchen immediately transformed into a new kitchen. Of course not. But the way I saw it was different. The way I saw it was different. It does something to your heart. It refreshes your soul. Psalm 119 is a love poem about God's word. I think I'm right in saying it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. Psalm 119. Interestingly, the one chapter devoted to the word of God is the longest one. But it talks to you about the love of the word of God. The psalmist talks about what it does to us, what it does for us, and again, why we're reading the Bible. So Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Remember we talked about walking in step with the wicked, standing in the way that sinners take. But this says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. It is just so vital, so important to us. It's why we read it. Now, I want to, want to finish kind of in Psalm 119 this morning. Psalm 119, verse 112. I think it's going to come up. No, it's not. I've not put these on the slide. So Psalm 119, verse 112. In the NIV, the, the version we use here in church says, My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. In the ESV and the NASB, I love the NASB, but it says, I incline my heart, or my heart is inclined on keeping your decrees to the very end. There's two things here I want to look at, inclining our heart or setting our heart on something and to the very end. Well, the very end is easy. The psalmist is saying, I want to do this to the very end. I want to keep my heart on your word to the very end because I know how valuable it is and that the end will come. But at that point, I want my heart to be set on your word. But why does he use the word incline? Why incline or set my heart on the word of God? Well, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We read the Bible because it's life-giving. We read the Bible because God speaks to us through it. It's very easy to stand here and say, well, do you remember Tyndale that printed the Bible and he, he was burnt at the stake? He was, he was martyred for trying to put the Bible in our hands and, and we owe it to them to read the Bible. We're kind of doing it wrong. We don't read the Bible because we should do or we have to. We read the Bible because it draws us close to God. We read the Bible because God speaks to us through it. That's why it's just a travesty if we don't read it. Just think about what you're missing out on. If you'll have seen those of you in community groups, Sister Mary Magdalene last week, practicing Lectio Divina, every time I open the word of God, I know without a shadow of doubt he is going to speak to me. If you want to hear from God, open the Bible. Open the Bible. So what does he say? Set your heart on it. Guard my heart. It's all about the heart. This word of God directs our heart. So guard our heart. Everything you do flows from it. And then Psalm 119, verse 11, same chapter, but verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I don't know about you, but last week when I saw people up here reciting the word of God from, from this high to this high, or it might have been last Sunday evening, when I hear people reciting the word of God, I get really, really excited. Really excited. I love, not because oh, they've got a wonderful memory, or oh, haven't they spent all week learning it? No, that's not what it's about, but it's in their heart. You ask them to remember it, they can remember it because it's in their heart. You think it's in their head, it's not. It's in their heart. Because God says so. He says, well, write your words upon 
my heart. Or the psalmist says, write your words upon my heart. So remember, Scripture, if you can, start with small bits, but get the Word of God in your heart so that you can meditate on it day and night. If you wake up in the middle of the night and your Bible's downstairs, if the Bible's written on your heart, you can bring it to mind and you can meditate on it. I was walking up and down Plymouth Hill uh, the other day as I was trying to learn Psalm 1 from beginning to end. And I just about nailed it. And so I walked up and down, just reciting Psalm 1 in my head. People thought I was crazy, just walk, walking up and down the hill. But I was, I was in another world. I was in another world. I was reciting this scripture and I became more and more excited every time I repeated it, every time I said it aloud. I can't just, you need to do it. <laughs> you need to do it to understand it. It was just having that scripture on my heart was amazing. But why, why does he say, incline my heart? What is it, incline my heart on the word of God? Because our heart is not in that natural position. We have a disposition towards sin. As human beings, we have a disposition towards sin. Our heart drags us towards our original self, towards sin. So he wants to set his heart on the word of God because his, the word of God will keep your heart set on God. So I will incline my heart towards God, towards the word of God. I think I was going to, I'm not going to dare do it. But you know these microphones, you've all seen them. You'll have a microphone stand here and it's not done up properly. And someone will start talking it'll just slowly start to creep. One of those comedy moments and they put it back up and it starts doing it again. Well, that's, that's like our heart. We, we can set our heart on God. It's pointing, the, the cross in the window up there, it's pointing towards God. But over time, the things that I watch, that I see, that I hear, that I am exposed to, just slowly starts to come back down to where it was before. And before I know it, I could be walking in step with the wicked. I could be standing in the way that sinners take. But no, incline my heart. So it's a thing that we do again and again. And we do it by reading the word of God. I will incline my heart. I will set my heart on the things of God by setting it on his word. It's inclined on keeping his decrees to the very end. A friend of mine challenged me once and said, you keep talking about fixing your eyes on Jesus. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. How do I do that? Where is he? How do I fix my eyes on Jesus? Do I look at the cross at the front? Do I look at, how do I fix my eyes upon Jesus? In Hebrews 12, it tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. How do we do that? How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? That's how you fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he is the very word of God. This is how we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. As I read this to you, it's going to come up on the screen. Do you want to hope that you grasp the truth of these words? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then John, one of his disciples, said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. Lord, would you open our eyes that we would see Jesus. The Bible is a place of encounter with Jesus. And that's why we read the Bible. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is your word, your words, that they are God-breathed. They are your very message to us. They are a love letter when we are broken-hearted. They are an invitation when we are feeling alone. It's a map when we are lost. It is an anchor when we're in the storm. It is life. I pray, Lord, that we will not overlook your word. That we will remember what it is. That is you in print. It is Jesus Christ in print. That you are in every page. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. That you would speak to us through it. And I pray, Lord, on this journey that those of us that struggle with it will endeavor. That we would give it a try. That we would begin to delight in your word. That we would find ourselves meditating on it day and night that your word would be written on our heart. Because, Lord, we don't want to walk in step with the wicked. We don't want to stand in the way that sinners take. We don't want to sit in the company of mockers. But, Lord, we want you to bless us. We want to flourish so that people will look on us as oaks of righteousness. They will see us as trees planted by streams of living water so that when the storms of life come, our leaf does not wither, and we continue to yield fruit in season. Lord, let your word transform us. That's why we read the Bible, so it will transform us. Lord, I pray that it would make us look more like you, so that we would look more attractive to those that don't know you. So Lord, help us to read your word. Give us hunger. Give us hunger for your word.